So I hope that you got the handout. In case anybody didn't, I put it on the Skype uh, chat for everybody. Okay, great. Link. So you have a link there to the handout. Um, I can hope you'll find that helpful. Now, Mother, should I go ahead and have everybody uh, mute now, or do you want interaction? 
Um, hmm. Why don't we mute now? All right. So, uh, Pravuz, the ones that are directly on Skype, I need you to individually mute yourself. So I don't have control over that. For those that are on free conferencing through Skype or otherwise, direct, I'm going to mute you myself. Ramanan, can yes. you email me the handout? Yes, I can email. Okay. Okay. So one time there was a, a big company, had a large factory, and the work of their factory was dependent upon a boiler. And their boiler got old, they got rid of it, and they bought a new top-of-the-line first-class boiler. Unfortunately, soon after they got it, it stopped working. And they called different repair persons, and people would come, try to fix it. It would work for maybe a half an hour, and again, it would break. And over and over again, they tried having their boiler repaired, and it just kept breaking. Finally, one of the vice presidents said, hey, I know a real expert at boiler repair. So they brought this guy in, and he starts going around the boiler with a little hammer. And he's tapping here, and he's tapping there, and tap, 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 tap. Just trying to figure out what's going on. Finally, after about a half an hour, he takes the hammer and bangs it against a part of the boiler. And then he tells the president of the company, after two weeks, if this boiler is still working, let me know, and I'll send you a bill. After two weeks, the boiler is still working, and the president calls up the repairman and says, okay, everything's in order. Send your bill. The repairman sends a bill for $5,000. And the president's thinking, what's this? All he did was bang the boiler with a hammer. So he calls up the repairman. And he said, please send me an itemized bill. The repairman sends back a bill for hitting the boiler, $5. For knowing where to hit the boiler, $4,995. So attentive, being attentive in general in our service is really the key to making advancement in Krishna consciousness. Uh, that, is the, that is knowing where to hit. Now, we all say, just like I was uh, talking with the kids yesterday, we all say, yes, I want to become Krishna conscious. I want to go back to Godhead. Right? And right now I'm um, listening to Ananda Vrindavan, recording of Ananda Vrindavan Champu. And the descriptions there of the spiritual world are just incredible. Uh, there's ruby trees and crystal soil and crystal trees and ruby soil. And the only time they use the word sharp is for uh, glances because no one has a sharp nature and the only use of the word crooked is for hairstyles because one has a crooked nature, etc., etc. So uh, the most beautiful place full of fragrance and, and harmony where no one has any evil intentions, where there's no exploitation. So we all say, yes, I want to go there. We all say, yes, I, I really want to know God. I want to see God. I want to know the truth, I want to find Param Satyam. I want to find what's absolutely true and tired of things that are false. 
I'm tired of things that are cheating. I'm tired of exploitation and, and envy of things not being what they're supposed to be. And that's the definition of maya or illusion, something that appears one way and is actually something else. So that's our general experience in this world. I think if I marry this person, I'll be happy. And I marry that person, and I'm not totally happy. I think if I get this house, then I'll be happy. If I buy a house instead of renting, or if I rent instead of buying, or if I work at home instead of going to a job, if I run my own business, if I work for someone, if I live in Hawaii, you know, whatever, we, this is going to be my... And it's not. It's just not. So whatever satisfaction we get, it's not what we had in our mind. It's an illusion. And we long for something that's authentic. We long for authentic relationships. We long for authentic and meaningful work. We want truth, basically. We want something that's true and, and meaningful. So we all say, yes, I want this. But what is the key to getting it? In one sense, everything is based on desire. Shiva Prabhupada says this in Krishna book. He also says this in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita that the reflection of the banyan tree of the spiritual world into the lake of the material world, it's reflected into desire, that basically we're getting what we desire. We are just listening to a lecture like this yesterday, when Srila Prabhupada was saying, talking about Eko Bhagunam Yoga Dati Kaman. Of course, similar things said Isopanishad. One has been fulfilling everyone's desire since time immemorial. So we're all getting what we desire, which is a hard pill to swallow, that what I have now is what I've desired. But in any case, we all say, I desire. So what is the key to fulfilling that desire? And what is the key also to increasing that desire? Because Rupa Goswami says that one cannot attain Krishna consciousness by pious activities in thousands and thousands of births. There are many people, even devotees, who think that the key to spiritual life is in material piety. I mean, we're all for material piety. Krishna says in the seventh chapter that one who's executed pious activities in this life and in previous lives and our four regulated principles are about material piety. We were reading in the report on Wednesday, Bhishma Day is giving nine principles of material piety. But material piety alone is not going to give us the fruit of our desire. What will give us our desire of going to the spiritual world, of serving Krishna, playing with Krishna, seeing Krishna, having a relationship with God. Ironically, what will give us the fruit of our desire is really greed, intense desire, such an intense desire that one is willing to do anything. If I say I desire to get a bachelor's degree, but that I'm not willing to go to classes or I'm not willing to do my work or I'm not willing to deal with an obnoxious professor, then my desire is not very strong. So one needs such an intense greed. Such an, the word used is greed, or sometimes the word is used lust. Such an intense desire that one is willing to do anything, one is willing to pay any cost. And after paying everything, one thinks it's nothing. One thinks I've, I've paid nothing. So how do we get this intense desire? Because Rupa Goswami says if this greed is available, you should beg, borrow, steal it. You should do whatever is necessary to get it without any delay. That's the ticket. That's the ticket. You want to go somewhere. Uh, just like I travel a lot, and one of the 
websites that get tickets sent uh, an email recently that was very interesting. It said that you may wonder why the fare on a seat on an airplane is always changing. It says the, the airlines have a policy that they make certain seats on every airplane available for a very low price for people who will only fly for a low price. And then they have other seats available that they only sell for a very high price. And they're constantly changing how many seats on each flight are at what price. If they see that a lot of people are taking that flight, then there's hardly any seats at a low price. If hardly anyone's taking that flight, then they'll put a whole bunch of seats at a low price. And as soon as you see a seat on a plane going for a low price, you have to buy it immediately. That's the point. If you don't buy it immediately when it's at a low price, it may be gone. And then you'll have to pay double or triple. So as soon as one sees here is a way to develop desire for Krishna, then one should get that without delay. And why attention? So we read this before, but I want to read it again. This is a letter to Jai Pitaka in 1972, where Prabhupada says, Such surrender devotee sees that everything is part of Krishna's plan, that whatever is meant to be, I am doing that. So let me do it with my full attention to every detail. Let me become absorbed in such service, never mind what it is, but let all other considerations be forgotten and only my desire to do the thing best for Krishna's alone pleasure be my motive. So full attention to every detail, absorbed in such service. We can say attention is not just, when we talk about attentive chanting, we don't mean just in japa, or we don't even mean just in japa and kirtan. We don't even mean just japa, kirtan, and Shastra recitation. We don't even mean just Japa Kirtan Shastra recitation and discussions of Krishna's pastimes. What we mean is anything that's related to the service of the name, which is everything we're doing. Everything we're doing is connected. Either it's the directly the nine processes of devotional service, or it's other work that we're doing as dedication for Krishna. Now, how does this work? And we can look at how this works materially by turning to Bhagavad Gita 262, where Krishna says, while contemplating the objects of the senses, a person develops attachment for them. And from such attachment, lust develops. And from lust, anger arises. From anger, complete delusion arises. From delusion, bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And when intelligence is lost, one falls down again into the material pool. So this is what happens when we pay attention to sense gratification, when we pay attention to things that are selfishly motivated and are objects for our body and mind, sense objects, vishayan. Jayataha. Jayataha means jaya, means a meditation. So if I'm giving my full attention to something for my own enjoyment, that's a sense object, then I develop attachment, sangha. Right? From attachment, I develop karma, desire. Now, why does that work? Why is it that if I just meditate on jayataha, any, and it, this, by the way, happens if you meditate on any sense object, 
anything, even if you meditate on a sense object that's completely insignificant, or even if you meditate on a sense object that's disgusting. Just like there are people who are completely absorbed in the activities of a low-class entertainer. Why? (laughs) Because they're meditating on them. Because they meditate on them, they become attached to them. Oh, what new criminal activity has this movie star done? Right? And people are absorbed in that. So even though the person is not worthy, uh, materially speaking, of any kind of thought whatsoever, why would somebody want to sit around and meditate on a criminal? But because they contemplate that person, they become attached to them. Why does that happen? It contemplates an insignificant thing, a certain kind of pen. When I was uh, nine years old, my teacher taught us to use a cartridge pen. And I became so attached to using a cartridge pen. I didn't want to use any other kind of pen, even though it would get ink on my fingers and I'd spend time and trouble and money getting this certain kind of pen, which I don't do that anymore. But something insignificant like that, having a certain kind of pen, having a certain kind of this, having a certain one of this. And people will get so attached to their the new smartphones. You know, when iPhone comes out with a new phone. So people are lining up for days to be the first one to... Why? It's a piece of metal and plastic. And probably the iPhone you already had already did most of the things that you need. Why does that happen? Why, just by thinking about, oh, the iPhone 4, the iPhone 4, why by giving it your attention do you develop this attachment? And the reason is because everything is ultimately Krishna. Krishna says, I am the mother, I am the father, I am, he is everything. That doesn't just mean the taste in water. That means the taste of anything. The principle of pleasure in anything is Krishna. Now, of course, all of the opulences of the world are just a spark of Krishna's splendor. But there's, you can get little, little something of Krishna. And therefore, because Krishna is all attractive, anything that you meditate on will become attractive. How is it that people get their Ph.D.? in the mating habits of the black-spotted, red-footed crab of the Blue River in Arkansas. Why do they dedicate their whole life to that? Because everything is ultimately connected with Krishna. So anything that we meditate on, that we contemplate, becomes attractive. It becomes so attractive that from a material point of view, we see that one becomes angry and one becomes bewildered. One goes crazy to get that thing, to have that thing, to be in that position. One gets to the point of, of madness just through contemplation. So the same principle works materially. This is explained by uh, Lord Rishabdev, I believe. He talks about Dwaram, the door. He says that if we have association with materialistic people, then we go to a hellish condition. But if we associate with sadhus, then dwara vimukte, we'll go to liberation. The same association. Narada Muni also talks about this to Shiladi in the first canto. 
Where he says, there's not a thing when applied therapeutically cure a disease which is caused by that very same thing. So if one contemplates Krishna, the source of all the happiness that we find in material objects, material objects, material activities, they have some happiness, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, there's some rasa. Unfortunately, it's a drop of water in a desert. Have you ever been really, 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 really thirsty? And if someone took an eyedropper and put a drop of water on your tongue, it could have some pleasure, but it would be mostly just frustrating. So to go to the reservoir of all pleasure, to go to the unlimited spring, like Jesus said, living water, how much more we will become attracted. So really all we have to do is meditate on Krishna. Therefore, Rupa Goswami says the essence of all the instructions is thinking of Krishna. Now, because all of us are already engaged in this process of Krishna Bhakti, all we need to do is to become attentive to what we're already doing. As Prabhupada wrote to Jai Patakamarsh, to be attentive to every detail. Two things he said, be attentive to every detail and do it to, for Krishna's pleasure. Now, in one sense, all the things that we're attentive to in Krishna's service are of equal value, in, in one sense. And any of those can make any of those things can bring us to a point of being madly in love with Krishna. That's what we want. We want to be so madly in love with Krishna that we don't even notice the miseries of the material world. We, we, they, we, they don't, we don't even notice them at all. We just uh, we just think, you know, what is this misery? It doesn't. We don't even pay any attention to it. Right? That's what Krishna explains in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. What's actual freedom from all miseries caused by material contact? That is to be totally absorbed in trance or samadhi, where you don't notice them. Just like my daughter-in-law's father was telling us the other day how once when he was in Rishikesh, some yogi invited him, come into my cave. So he came to the yogi's cave, and the yogi was in meditation. And he didn't even see Gopravindapal, didn't even acknowledge him. He was sitting outside the cave. And Gopravindapal's waiting, 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 waiting. And he decided, okay, I'll stay the night. So he went into the cave and he stayed for the night and he made a little fire in the cave. And then uh, during the night it snowed and the yogi's just sitting outside in the snow. And the snow is up to the yogi's waist. And he's not even noticing it. He's still in his trance of meditation. So this is the, the way that a devotee counteracts all the material miseries. Not by having there be no snow. Not by you know, making a life where everybody's, where everybody's nice to you and everything's just wonderful and everything you want you immediately get. But where you're so absorbed in Krishna that these things are insignificant. You hardly even notice them. I mean, we all have that experience that if I'm really absorbed in something, then I'm not really, you know, if I'm about to travel to Vrindavan tomorrow, I'm not really so much caring about this or that problem in life because I'm absorbed in what I want to do. And that happens also, of course, if we're absorbed in something negative. So our real key to becoming free from all material miseries is to become absorbed in Krishna. Our key to having fast, accelerated advancement in Krishna consciousness 
is to be absorbed in Krishna. Our key, in fact, to getting anything that we want is to become absorbed in Krishna. Now, how does that work? Well, when I'm absorbed in Krishna, especially when I'm absorbed in chanting Krishna's name, and why especially absorbed in chanting Krishna's name? Because that is the Yuga Dharma. That is the Yuga Dharma. And all the Acharyas tell us that the most potent and powerful service that we are doing is chanting Krishna's name. Obviously, full attention and full absorption in any of the things that we're doing, any of the devotional service that we're doing, uh, deity worship, reading, hearing about Krishna, anything going on, pilgrimage, can also have that effect. But the holy name is the mood of, of Krishna who's very merciful. Anyway, how does this work? Well, when we're attentive to our chanting or to any other service, we get purification from within the heart. How is that? Because uh, as soon as we're much as soon as we're absorbed in hearing and chanting about Krishna, then Krishna manifests. And when Krishna manifests, he is a, he's a light. He lights everything up. And when he lights everything up, what can we see? We will see Krishna. <laughs> And we will also see Maya. We will see both Krishna and Maya. We see this progression happening in Bhagavad Gita. Right? First, Arjuna gets close to Krishna. He becomes Krishna's. He becomes Krishna's disciple. He gets close to Krishna. He says to Krishna, "Okay, please help me." And then, what does Krishna do? So Krishna reveals. And what does he reveal? He reveals the nature of the soul. He reveals his own nature. And then he also reveals the nature of maya. So if you look through the Bhagavad Gita, you'll see that there are sections dealing with Krishna's glories. There are sections dealing with how material nature works. And there's also sections dealing with the nature of the soul. So this is what's revealed. Cheto Darpana Marjanam. The mirror is clean and one sees things clearly. One sees the truth. When one's in illusion, one's in maya, one can't see things clearly. Then after Krishna reveals everything to Arjuna, then what does Arjuna have to do? He has to choose. So I met one Indian man who said that was his favorite verse in Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, okay, now do what you want to do. <laughs> so we get close to Krishna, Krishna reveals, then you have to choose. And then what does Krishna do? If you choose him, then one has all victories, and he cleanses. So by becoming very close to Krishna through attention to our service, and particularly attention to the holy name, then Krishna reveals, says, oh, here I am. Here's you. Here's the nature of your entanglement. Everything comes clear. And then when everything's clear, then we have the ability to make the right choice. You know, many times in life we say, what should I do? What should I choose? And how can you choose anything unless things are clear? Right? If everything's fuzzy, how do you make a good choice? So by Krishna clearing everything and revealing everything, then one is able to make a right choice. One is able to choose the right thing. So then after choosing, then Krishna cleanses all the desires. As soon as we choose him, yes. I will follow you. Yes, I will surrender to you. I'm not going to choose Maya anymore. Then he cleanses all those desires. And in fact, that happens instantly. 
As soon as one chooses Krishna over Maya, immediately the Maya is gone. Daivyesha gunamayi, mama maya duratiya, mam evaye prapajante, mayam etam durantite. So as soon as one chooses Krishna, then all the Maya is gone. Immediately. You know, one can, uh, one may think, oh, giving up this thing, giving up that thing, doing this, doing that, that's going to be so hard. I'm not going to be able to get rid of this detachment. I'm not going to be able to fix this thing, whatever. But as soon as one actually chooses Krishna, then it becomes very easy. Prabhupada says it becomes easy as anything. Easy as anything. So if we want to make our advancement very fast, if we want to make our advancement very easy, we chant with attention. When we chant with attention, our choices become clear, our, our path becomes clear, we can see what is maya, what is the nature of maya, as Prabhupada said, the naked form of material desires. We can see ourselves. Everything becomes clear. And as I was saying in the beginning, when we pay attention to Krishna, when we're attentive to Krishna, then naturally we become attached to him. Naturally we develop love for him. Right? Just like we become attached to mundane things if we contemplate them. If we contemplate Krishna, we naturally develop attention. Maya Shakamanapa, which is the whole essence. As soon as we become attached to Krishna, everything else is gone. All right, so that's why we should be attentive in our chanting. That's why we should care. Now let's go on to the three categories of inattention that Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains. They are distraction, laziness, and indifference. Distraction is when we're interested in something other than the name that we are saying. Someone here says they have no sound. Does anyone else have that problem? I'm checking. I, I hear fine. I'm fine. I'm all right. I think it was just quickly. It was just for a minute. It was just for a minute. Okay. Okay, so look, let's look at the categories of inattention. One is distraction or having an interest in anything other than the name. You know, this is something like um, talking to somebody who's texting on their phone. Bhakti Vigyan Swami gave a nice example of this. He said that... Uh, he was once in a meeting where one of the participants at the meeting kept asking him to, um, one second, I'm just trying to help her here. So the, there was someone in the meeting who kept saying, maybe if I do this. Sorry, it was just Krishna Priya was making the background noise. So now she's back. Okay. If everybody just please on, on Skype, please make sure you're muted. Okay. So anyway, there was somebody who was saying, okay, we really want to hear this from Bhaktivedan Swami. This is something really important. We'd really like to hear what he has to say. They were saying that over and over again. And finally, Bhaktivedan Maharaj had a chance to speak. So uh, 
he gets up to speak, and then the person who kept saying that he wanted to hear from Maharaj got a call on his mobile phone. And after he got a call on his mobile phone, he left the room. So here Maharaj is finally getting up to speak as this person requested. And as soon as he gets up to speak, the person considers the phone call more important. And he said, I felt so offended. So this is exactly what Krishna feels like if we have distraction. Right? Have, you, have you ever had that kind of thing where somebody asks you a question and then doesn't pay any attention to the answer? You know, they ask you a question and then as soon as you answer them, they walk in another room or they start talking to somebody else or they go away. And you're just thinking, why did you ask me the question? Obviously, you don't care about the answer. You know, or if somebody calls you up and says they want to spend time with you and then uh, you go to spend time with them and they're just busy doing something else. You know, just imagine your spouse says, okay, let's spend an hour together. And the whole time that you're together, he's reading the newspaper or I guess in the modern day playing around on his iPad. You know, you'd be offended. So, of course, we should chant Hare Krishna all the time. We should be chanting the holy name all the time while we're driving, while we're cooking, while we're hanging up the laundry. You know, everything that we're doing, we should be meditating on Krishna. But when we say to Krishna, okay, Krishna, I'm going to spend time with you and I'm just going to be with you and I'm just going to dedicate this time fully to you. And then we say, oh, let me pay attention to this. Let me pay attention to that. Let me pay attention to this. So that's one kind of inattention. That Krishna is not going to reveal himself to us if we have that kind of inattention, just like we wouldn't do so. Then there's a kind of inattention that's just laziness. That just, you know, falling asleep or just not even putting out the endeavor. Not not really not really making an, an effort. Just, well, if it comes easily, I'll do it. And if it doesn't come easily, I won't do it. But another kind of inattention is just not caring at all. So that's a, we could say, a greater form of laziness. You know, laziness is I care, but I don't care very much. I'll make some effort, but I won't make a whole lot of effort. And indifference is I really don't make any effort. You know, I'm, I'm moving my fingers over the beads. I'm, my mouth is saying the name, but I'm totally someplace else. Or I have an opportunity to go to a really nice kirtan and be absorbed. I'd rather do something else. And here, I'm not, uh, I don't feel that, that Krishna is, is really important in my life. So those are the three categories of inattention. I know, what are our cures? Because I'm sure that most of us have really tried, at least sometimes, to be very attentive to our chanting, to be very attentive in the kirtan, to be very attentive to everything we're doing. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Thakur gives some suggestions for a cure. We can also talk about some other things, and then we can look at the quotes that I've given you and have some discussion. So his first cure is attention to quantity. Therefore, Srila Prabhupada said 16 rounds a day minimum. And he says in Nectar Devotion, interestingly, in regard to over-endeavor, he says over-endeavor is making a spiritual vow that you can't keep. So like if you're saying, I'm going to chant 128 rounds a day and you can't do it, or you know, I'm going to read for five hours a day and then you can't do it, that's a kind of over-endeavor. So therefore, we recommend to people 
that they take a vow for chanting that they're actually able to keep. And of course, once you're initiated, we would certainly expect that you're chanting at least 16 vows. Of course, people will say, well, I took the vows for initiation when I didn't know what I was doing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, However, it seems to be rather important to Krishna and to the Acharyas that we keep our word, even when it's difficult, or perhaps especially when it's difficult. And what we've seen is that people who keep their word, even or especially when it's difficult, that Krishna is very grateful for that. Krishna is very grateful for that. Even if when it's very difficult, our chanting is actually lazy or indifferent, just simply doing it has some value. Just doing it has some value. Well, there's, uh, what do they say? The first thing is to show up. I, I often ask people, how do you know that someone's sincere? Probably uses the word sincere in that. Sincere a lot. You know, how, do, how does one define sincerity? And our conclusion is the first part of sincerity is just showing up, being there. So the first thing in attentive chanting is just being there. Just saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to chant a certain number of rounds every day. Basically, you know, come hell or high water. In, unless I'm in a situation where I'm in a coma with foods down my throat, you know, I'm going to chant my rounds every day. And if there's some emergency, I'm going to make them up. I've taken a vow that I'm going to spend this much time with Krishna. I remember there was a time in my marriage when my husband said, you know, we're really not spending much time together anymore except at the morning program. And uh, we made a time from 8.30 to 9.30 every night that we were just going to be together. And that was all we were going to do. I mean, I would usually feed him his dinner then because he was working all afternoon. But we weren't going to do other things. We weren't going to chant our japa. We weren't going to read a book. We weren't, we were just going to spend time with each other. It was, it was a very nice thing to do. Uh, the one president of the United States, uh, John Adams, he had 14 children. Among them was John Quincy Adams, who also became president. John Quincy Adams said that his mother would spend one hour a week just specifically with each of the 14 children. That was her time to be with them. Right? So one's going to do that, and one's going to do that every day, basically unless there's an absolute emergency. This is, this is what I've set aside. I'm going to spend this much time with you, Krishna. I'm going to chant, you know, four rounds of japa. I'm going to chant 16 rounds of japa. Whatever it is, this is going to be my determination. And I'm going to, even if sometimes I can't do it very well because I'm sick or there's this or that, still I'm going to do it. So doing that every day, having an attention to quantity, will help give us an attention to quality. Then having as far as possible a conducive place. Of course, this is not always possible. But we should try to arrange our life so that generally... We have a peaceful place to concentrate on japa. We have a peaceful place to have kirtan. I mean, you know, if you're trying to distribute books in a Muslim country and you're put in jail, what can you do? But in general, we should do that. Just like we try to set up a nice place for our other things. People spend sometimes a lot of money on their kitchens if they do a lot of cooking. Or they spend a lot of money on their car. You know, we go to some endeavor to make a proper place for other things in our life. People spend a lot of money sometimes on a place just to take a bath. You know, I was in someone's home recently. They had bought the home. They hadn't built it themselves. But the people who had built the home had made this incredibly fancy bathroom with a big jacuzzi tub and a huge shower. I mean, 
my goodness, the whole bathroom area was as big as the homes of some people in the world. We saw this at one of our castles that's now a temple in Italy also, where the the shower is on an elevated platform and it's all marble. When people go in the room, they think it's an altar for the deities when it's actually a shower. So people make a nice place to, for their bathing. They make a nice place for their working. And similarly, it's good to have a conducive place for our japa and our kirtan. Therefore, we recommend that people in their homes set up a little altar. Of course, again, it's not always possible to chant in a conducive place, but as far as possible. And especially with the Tulsi plant is recommended if one can chant by the Tulsi plant or chant by the deities. Then conducive company. By the way, we should mention that particularly a conducive place helps with distraction and it helps with indifference. It helps with distraction because you're in a place where you've eliminated a lot of the distractions. Your computer is turned off. You know, your television set is turned off. Your mobile phone is turned off. It also helps with indifference because you've said, okay, this is a place where we're really going to make this important. By setting up the conducive place is a way of communicating that you think is important. Then conducive company. Now, again, this sort of option isn't available to all of us or it isn't available to all of us all the time. But whenever it is available, whenever we can have company for kirtan or japa of people who are really serious about wanting to be attentive in their chain, that's a remedy for indifference and laziness. So if we're with good company, we're likely to make more of an effort if we see everyone else around us is making more of an effort. Then having some time for extended chanting that's free for other considerations. This is a remedy for distraction. So if a person tends to, you know, while they're chanting, they're surfing the web, or while they're chanting, they're watching all the beautiful girls go by, or while they're chanting, they're thinking of all their old rock and roll songs or what they have to do today. So one thing that one can do is have some times in one's life when one does nothing else but chant. And we see this is going on a lot now in uh, in Vaishnav societies. I know that in ISKCON that there's often kirtan melas and japa retreats. So you can go someplace and have four or five days where pretty much you're just chanting japa or you're just chant- having kirtan. So, you know, 12-hour kirtans every day for maybe just a weekend or a 24-hour kirtan time. So there's many times like this where you can go to a conducive place with conducive company and have some extended chanting time freed from distractions. And even if you're a family person, you know, you can make some time on a kadasi or on Janmastin, you make some time and, okay, I'm going to chant extra, and I'm going to get away from distractions. I'll ask my mother or my sister or my friend to watch the kids for three hours, and I'll do that, you know, once a month or twice a month, and I'll just go someplace quiet, sit by the ocean, and I'll just chant. I know a very successful business person who once a month takes a couple of days, goes someplace without a phone, without a computer, without telling anybody where he is, and just chants and reads. So that really helps to have sometimes like that periodically, Bhaktivinoda Krishna says, really helps with our daily uh, chanting. And then also hearing, to hear about Krishna, to hear about chanting, but especially to hear about Krishna. Prabhupada talks about in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, and he also talks about in the Bhagavatam, in the description of the kingdom of God, that one should be captivated by the information of the spiritual world. Just like I'm now in Hawaii. Whenever I tell people that I go to Hawaii, they say, wow, you're so lucky. I mean, people are captivated by the idea of going to a beautiful tropical place. 
So how much more we should become captivated by Krishna and the spiritual world. But that will only happen if we're hearing, like I said in the beginning that I'm listening now to a recording of Ananda Vrindavan Champu. And just hearing that, you think, yes, that's what I want. Yes, that's what I want. Or when I was recently in Vrindavan, one of my friends there was reading to me from Bhaktivinotakura songs. And just hearing the songs, I immediately started feeling, not just thinking, but feeling, yes, that's what I want. I really want to just serve Krishna. I really want to forget about all my designations. So when we have that desire, again, this works even materially. This is, again, the, the contemplation. If people tell you, you know, you really should go to college, it will really help you get a good job, it will do this or that, and the other thing. By hearing how important getting our degree is, then we're willing to put the time and the effort into study. And if you never hear, then frankly, you forget. You know, if you say, well, I already know all these things, you know, why do I have to hear them again? But we, we forget. And especially we forget if we're in a situation where we're hearing contrary things. You know, if somebody's watching TV or listening to the news or, or reading ordinary magazines, then you're hearing something contrary. You're hearing, oh, really, the way you're going to be happy is to have money and fame and education and power and a beautiful house and a conducive spouse and et cetera, et cetera. And then we're not going to put the energy into chanting. We're going to put the energy into buying a new dining room table so we can impress our friends and buy the latest car. And then having a, 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 so hearing is a remedy for indifference and laziness. So indifference and lazy. It gives us a sense of importance and a sense of urgency. Then having a set time of day for chanting. This is a remedy for distraction that very much like having a, a set place. Okay, this is what I'm going to do at this time. Whatever else I have to do, I'm going to do at another time. Whatever else comes to the mind, I'm going to do this at another time. So in order to have a set time of day for chanting, it helps to get to bed at a set time. It helps not being distracted before bed. Of course, most people can't have a set time for chanting every single day, no matter what, but at least as a general rule, and the recommendation is early in the morning. That's the recommendation, although if your set time for chanting is in the evening, that can work as well. But the recommendation is to get up early in the morning before sunrise, preferably by 4 o'clock in the morning, and to chant then. It's much easier to engage in an attentive chanting before the day's really started. And also to have a pure life. So therefore, we have our regulated principles. No illicit sex, no eating meat, fish, or eggs, no intoxication, including coffee, tea, cigarettes, and no gambling. Because if one's engaged in those four things, then the mind is not very purified, and it's hard to pay attention to the chanting. It's hard to pay attention to anything that we're doing. And there's a number of other ways that we can have attentive chanting. We'll talk about some of those next week when we talk about the philosophy of sound as given in the 11th uh, canto of the Bhagavatam. Um, and we can look at the quotes also to see some other memories, other uh, remedies. Uh, and we can have some discussion on those quotes. But we're looking here just at Bhakti Notakura's spirit. And then what will be the result? The result will be, first of all, we'll really relish our chanting. We'll, we'll, because when we're attentive to chanting, we're chanting to Krishna. And Krishna is the source of all pleasure. So when we really pay attention to Krishna, we'll get so much pleasure from his association. And we'll very, very quickly progress. Uh, we'll, particularly, we'll progress from the stage of offensive chanting to the stage of pure chanting. 
something that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur explains, and Bhaktivinoda you know Thakur also, that this attentive chanting, particularly attentive chanting, as we say, attention to any, any of our services, that what it does is it roots out all of the other offenses to chanting. Now, why is that? Because when you chant attentively, you will see the nature of your offenses very clearly, and you'll desire to get rid of them. When you're attentively chanting, you'll actually understand, oh, this is how I'm offending the devotees. Oh, this is how I'm disobeying my guru. And your desire to be free of that will increase. And it's by chanting without offenses, then all of our other offenses are nullified. The offenses to deity worship are nullified. Then all of our other inertias, all of our other blocks from whatever sins we've done in the past or even whatever materially good works we've done in the past, that will also be destroyed by chanting. So basically, attentive chanting destroys all the offenses to chanting. This is explained in Madhurya Kadambani. And chanting, without offense, destroys all of the stumbling blocks to everything else. Therefore, this one thing, attentive to chanting, will move us out of the dry stage of devotional service. What do I mean by that dry stage? The scriptures tell us that there's two people. Bhagavatam tells us there's two people that are happy. The fool and the transcendentalist. So a totally foolish person is, of course, not actually happy. But they're thinking, I'm happy. And then the transcendentalist is actually happy. And anyone who's not, who's neither a fool nor transcendental is very aware of their suffering. Uh, particularly a, a human being is actually aware that there's so many miseries. Which is why in every human society there's some acceptable or even encouraged form of intoxication. Some societies it's tea, some it's coffee, tobacco, some it's some sort of hallucinogenic drug, some it's uh, they have in Africa, cats, whatever. So in every society there's some kind of intoxication, and not only chemical intoxication. Modern society we're very much into electronic intoxication, uh, sporting activities. People also forget everything else. Some activity, something where you forget your misery. So when one takes up Krishna consciousness, before it's taking up Krishna consciousness, one is often at the fool platform, you know, where one doesn't even know that one is suffering. One's just simply foolish. And as one gives up the material intoxication, right, we give up not only coffee, tea, cigarettes, Coca-Cola, alcohol, heroin, whatever, <laughs> LSD. So not only do we give those things up, but the devotee also gives up anything which is Producing the illusion, the devotee's not going to the movies, watching television, uh, reading nonsense books. The devotee's not doing anything that's saying, yes, yes, you're happy in the world, everything's okay, don't say that anything. So the devotee becomes acutely aware of the material miseries, but is not yet tasting uh, the transcendental happiness. So this is what's happening in the offensive stage of chanting. In the offensive stage of chanting, one is remove the sources of sense gratification, but one is not yet experiencing transcendental bliss. Now, this is not a very satisfactory place to be. Ananda Maya Vyasat, we're pleasure-seeking beings. We, we can't stay long in a situation where we have not much spiritual happiness and not much material happiness. And therefore, you see, many devotees, if they in this stage long enough, they'll fall back again to material kinds of gratification. So by chanting with attention one will move very, very quickly through this stage of what's called anarchanavritti, getting rid of the anarchas, and come very, very quickly to pure. Yeah, if you try to finish it earlier, it will be better, because then I can work. Actually, it's not 
I used to mute here, my goodness. Okay, so we've gone over uh, the, the main points. And let's, let's look now at the quotes I gave you. Those who have the paper with the quotes. So Prabhupada's also speaking here about how to become attentive. So he says to think of the deity. If you always think of Krishna, always chant. He said as soon as you chant, you immediately remember Krishna. His form, his name, his qualities, his pastimes. So where is the difficulty? So here Prabhupada's talk about meditation on the deity. So of course sometimes we're chanting kirtan or japa. Sometimes we're chanting in a temple room where the curtains are open. And it's easy to meditate on the deity because the deity is right in front of our eyes while we're chanting. Uh, But if that's not the case, and then we can certainly meditate on the deity. Here Prabhupada saying, uh, you simply chant and remember Krishna. Here you are seeing the deity of Krishna, so while chanting, if you remember this deity, is it very difficult? So this it should be a natural thing. Just like as soon as I say the name of my mother, immediately I remember what my mother looks like. Or here is one of my favorite from Geneva. So Prabhupada says, the Hare Krishna mantra chanting means keeping Krishna always within your heart. This is not, it is not expensive at all. You haven't got to make a very exalted throne for Krishna. You can imagine that in my heart I have placed now a very diamond throne and Krishna is sitting. That is accepted. It is. Actually it becomes. Even within the mind, you think that I have kept one diamond throne, very costly throne, because Krishna is coming. He will sit down here. That is not false. That is a fact. You create such situation within your heart. Now Krishna has seated. Let me wash his feet with the Ganges water, Jamuna water. Now change his dress to a first-class costly garment. Then I decorate with ornaments. Then I give him for eating. You can simply think of this. This is meditation. It is so nice thing. Anywhere you can sit down and think that Krishna is sitting in your heart and you are receiving in so nice way. They are not false. They are also fact. It is so easy. So here is the... If you simply carry Krishna within your heart always in a very devotional service, exalted devotional service, and chant Hare Krishna and think of Krishna. Wherever you go, you will purify the whole place. So Srila Prabhupada is giving here, we have many other quotes like this, a very easy way to be attentive, that while chanting, one meditates on the form of the deity. While chanting, one meditates on receiving the Lord within one's heart, Prabhupada says, on a diamond throne, etc. Um, of course, you may be familiar with the time when uh, one devotee says to Krishna, what should we do with our mind when chanting? Prabhupada says, what is the question of mind just chanting here? Uh, what I've seen is if we look at Srila Prabhupada's quotes on this topic, that Srila Prabhupada in his lectures and in his purports and generally in his letters and generally in his conversations will talk about meditation on Krishna while chanting. And I thought, so why did Prabhupada, when this devotee asked the question, just say, what is the question of mind? This became very clear to me once when I was coming back with a program with some devotees and one new boy was in the car. And he was talking about Krishna in some very strange way, like Krishna's just force everywhere. And, And I thought, you know, if you don't know anything about Krishna, you can't say, chant and meditate on Krishna. All you can say is chant and hear. And and so someone even asking that question, what should I do with my mind while I chant? As soon as someone's in a position where they're asking that question, then you can understand that the only thing you can say to them is just chant it here. It's like if I say, when I say the name of my son, what should I think about? You know, 
just even to ask that question. Uh, so what does that mean? Does that mean you, you know, your son was given away at birth and you have no, you don't have any remembrance of a relationship with him or what he looks like? You know, it's just, it's sort of a an outrageous question. So naturally, if I'm saying the name of my son, what happens immediately? I think of of what he looks like. I think of what he does. I think of my relationship with him and so forth. So one who's heard from the Shastra, as soon as they say Krishna's name, and Prabhupada says this this is electro nectar devotion, which is also here. As soon as you utter the name of Krishna, you remember Krishna's forms, Krishna's pastimes, and everything. Okay, we have some time for questions and comments that you can use your microphone. I hope that this was helpful. We're going to be having another class on... um, on this topic from quite a different perspective next week. And someone here is asking me for video, and uh, I should say that Ramananda asked me not to do video because it takes so much bandwidth. Otherwise, I would be happy to do video. Where does Bhaktivinoda talk about these things? In the Harinam Chintamani. And who did the audio book for uh, Ananda Vrindavan Shampoo? Dear Krishna Maharaj. Thank you, you can get his site, bkgoswami.com, from the audio section. In general, you can find audio books on sadhusanga.com. Very cheap. Download them, $5 a book. Okay. Also, if any of you are interested, um, I did a series of articles on the ten offense chanting that appeared in the Back of Godhead magazine. And uh, if any of you are interested, you can let Ramananda know, and we can also have that available on the Iskan Hawaii site for download. Oh, please. Yeah, that would be very nice. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. I hope I don't get in trouble or insult anybody by asking. But um, I, I have not been to a Japa retreat, so I, I'm I'm just guessing here. But I was just kind of thinking that, um, okay, so let's say someone goes to a Japa retreat. For those days that he's there, uh, he may improve his uh, concentration and his appreciation for the holy name. But Actually, you know, is it how much value is in that? The real thing is to do it every day. Well, according to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, if you do things like that periodically, it will also help you in your day-to-day change. Now, if you want to know how does it do that, it can it kind of can reset your habits, and you have much more likelihood of getting some some taste. So he says particularly that having some, and it doesn't have to be uh, that you pay money and go someplace to a retreat, but he says that doing that is particularly a remedy for distraction. So if what you're suffering from is distraction, where while you're chanting, you're always thinking about other things and doing other things and stopping and starting and wandering away, I mean, in the absence of some good reason to do that, like, your kid just knocked over a bottle of milk, then having some extended times, and you can do this, again, without 
although it's nice to go to a shopping retreat, but without spending a whole lot of money to go someplace. And by the way, I, I know of many devotees who will go to India just for such Nandamars and Burjan and Jagatamini's um, Dobranam retreat and Japa retreat. They'll fly all the way to India just for those five days or ten days just to go to those retreats. But even without spending a lot of time and money, even if you just say, okay, every Akadasi I'm going to chant 64 rounds, and I'm going to take a vow of silence until I finish those 64 rounds, and I'm not going to eat or drink anything until I chant those 64 rounds. You know, that's, that's very powerful. It, it changes the whole scene of your japa. So at least to do that kind of thing periodically. Okay, I'm going to have one day a month when I'm just going to sit and chant. I'm not going to do anything else until I finish this amount of chanting. Of course, you can't do that if you have, you know, infants running around. This is why I said, you know, if you have young children, you might have to say, okay, somebody watch my children for three, four hours. And uh, even just, you know, once a month, take out a few hours, go to a park, go to a beach, go someplace where there's, you know, not going to be your normal distractions and just chant. And you can do that, of course, also with kirtan. Not also with, with not just japa. You can have a time of extended kirtan. So I know of many, many temples where they do this every Akadasi, where they'll have kirtan and bhajans all night. There's many places. Or they might not do it every Akadasi. They may do it if the Akadasi falls on a Friday or Saturday, for example. But I've been in many temples where they have that kind of thing, where they'll do a 12-hour kirtan, uh, you know, something like that. They'll have a kirtan that starts at 4 in the afternoon on a Friday and goes to Mangalarchi on an, especially on a night of Akadasi for some sort of extended, concentrated chanting. And yes, it is very helpful. I'd like to ask you a question. From all of the advice and encouragement and instructions you're giving with regarding to improving the chanting of our japa, I assume this applies equally to chanting of the Gayatri Mantra. And yes. Are there any subtle differences when applying these, these principles to chanting the Gayatri? You know, I, I haven't spent nearly as much time researching that, although I've read all of Mahanadi Swami's book on Gayatri Mantra and all of Sachinandamara's book on Gayatri Mantra. Then there's also some other writings, some other people in Assam Pradaya, like B.R. Sridhar Maharaj. There's a, a book one of our GBC gave me, which is how electronically. That's a whole different meditation on the, on the Gayatri Mantra. But I haven't, with the, with the Hare Krishna Mantra, I spent about a year and a half at the request of our editor-in-chief of Back to Godhead, who wanted me to write this series on the Ten Offenses. I spent about a year and a half researching everything I could get my hands on, on chanting the Holy Name, and came up with these, these seminars from that. I'm sure I could do a lot more. Uh, are there subtle differences with the Gayatri Mantra? Um, the, the differences that I can think of is that the meaning of the Hare Krishna Mantra in one sense, it's very simple. Hey, Krishna. Hey, Rama. Hey, Hare. Please. I'm so tired of serving my mind and senses. I want to serve you again. Of course, having said that, the Acharyas have given many different meanings of the mantra. So I have files of uh, Jiva Goswamis and Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's and Bhakti Thakur's meanings of the mantra. 
and they will assign a particular meaning to each word. Like, oh, Radha, let me hear about your pastime. Oh, Krishna, may I always serve you. I mean, it's, it's interesting. With the Gayatri Mantra, though, there is, also there's many varieties of meanings. Just like uh, the Brahma Gayatri Mantra. Normally, Savitur is taken to mean the sun god, although Prabhupada says that Savitur is Lord Chaitanya. And Jiva Goswami explains the Gayatri Mantra to be a meditation on Radha and Krishna, that Bargo is, is Radharani. Uh, but still, there, there is a, a more, shall we say, uh, how you say? It's, it's more specific. You know, I meditate on my spiritual master being absorbed in transcendental ecstasy of serving Krishna, or it can also be described serving Radharani. Let me also be enthused in that same way. So it's, there's, there's a little bit more specificity there. Uh, the uh, places to, to read, there's some interesting places in Chaitanya Charitamrita, particularly where one can read about the Kamagayatri Mantra, especially Majya 8, text 138, which I, I highly recommend. That's an extraordinary purport. Uh, there's also Majya Lila, chapter 8. I believe it's chapter 8, text 138. Let me just look that up to make sure I'm getting you the right thing. Um, yep. No sound. Mother Urmula, can you hear us? Yes, yes. Okay, yes, it's correct. Majja 8138 is a meditation on the Kama Gayatri Mantra. You can also just do a search in the database for any time that Srila Prabhupada is listing any of the Gayatri Mantras. And for example, with Judd Bharat's meditation on the sun, Prabhupada refers to the Brahma Gayatri Mantra. Also, the Brihad Bhagavatamrita is a whole meditation on the Gopal Mantra, which is the sixth mantra that we chant. Now, of course, uh, he chant he doesn't chant the whole our, our whole Gopal Mantra. He chants a shorter form of it. But there's a number of places that you can go where there's to read about particular meditations. The Brahma Samhita also, the beginning of Brahma Samhita, where there is a whole description of the form of the spiritual world, is also very connected with the Gayatri Mantra, particularly the Kama Gayatri Mantra. And uh, another subtle difference with the Gayatri Mantra is there are hard and fast rules for chanting it. Whereas the Hare Krishna mantra, that isn't the case. So while with the Hare Krishna mantra, we're recommending a conducive time, a conducive place, and conducive company, it is entirely possible to have fully attentive chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra, even in a time, place, and company that's opposed to attention. Whereas with the Gayatri mantra, there are hard and fast rules. I mean, one person in Vrindavan uh, one very, very uh, strict devotee who I was talking to was telling me that generally, you know, you're supposed to take a bath before you chant each Gayatri, right? And of course, we read about that in the Shastras. And she was saying, well, if you're out preaching, there may be so many dispensations, but if you're not preaching, really, you should bathe before each Gayatri. So I know ideally you should be chanting the Gayatri while being in a sacred river or uh, or in the ocean, some sort of a, a sacred place, standing half-submerged, and uh, with uh, complete uh, focus 
And but that's that's not necessarily required for the Hare Krishna mantra. The Gayatri mantra also has to be said silently within the mind. The Hare Krishna mantra can be said silently, softly, or or out loud singing. The Gayatri mantra is a very solitary meditation. The Hare Krishna mantra can be sung in kirtan. So I think there are some differences, but the principle is the same. The principle is the same. That and the principle is the same not only with the chanting of our mantras, but with everything. You know, when I'm doing deity worship, when I'm reading the Shastra, when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning the toilet, frankly, even when I'm brushing my teeth. You know, again, I'm going to go back to this this letter. You know, so Prabhupada says here that he says, I'm going to read the whole letter. If there is some discrepancy, some non-cooperation, fighting, or if the work is slow or not to the standard, it is to be supposed that the person or persons in charge are not very much attached to Krishna. That means they will discriminate. My engagement is not good. Others' engagement is good, like that. They do not know the secret of surrendering to Krishna. Such surrendered devotee sees that everything is part of Krishna's plan, that whatever is meant to be, I am doing that. So let me do it with my full attention to every detail. Let me become absorbed in such service. Never mind what it is. But let all other considerations be forgotten, and only my desire to do the thing best for Krishna's alone pleasure be my motive. That is advanced stage of understanding devotional service or Krishna consciousness. So whatever we're doing, not thinking, well, this is a good service, that's not a good service. You know, dressing the deities is a good service, or cleaning the floor is not a good service. I should pay attention when I'm dressing the deity, I shouldn't pay attention when I'm cleaning the floor. Whatever we're doing, we should be giving it our attention, Prabhupada said, full attention to every detail, become absorbed in such service, and do the thing best for Krishna's alone pleasure. Nice. Hare Krishna, Mahavarpala. Thank you. Hare Krishna. I just, a little uh, comment I wanted to make. Uh, I just, uh, Ravindra Swarup is also, when he's uh, speaking about the chant, on chanting lectures, uh, it's interesting still I notice that distraction, the pramadaha, the literal translation for that is insanity. Yeah, yeah it, so he compares with uh, like the person that really mad. Um, he can't concentrate. He can't pay any attention if you talk to him. He can't even for a minute. Well, it's also basically, you know, if you're in a prison and you're suffering terribly, and someone's giving you directions how to get out, and they're giving you a key to get out, and you don't pay attention to the directions, and you forget where you put the key. That's that's a madness. Wow, that's a nice example. Well, thank you. That's even better. Anything else? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Um, I don't know if you saw my question here, but um, I just had to keep my mic muted for a while. Um, I was reading that uh, inattention is the root or the cause of all the other offenses. I thought I heard that from or read that as a quote from Bhaktisiddhanta Maharaj. Um, I was just wondering if you could explain that, how inattention is the root or the cause of the other offenses. Well, I, I think you could give many different. Um, hold on one second. Yeah. 
something a little distant or something? Sorry. I, I think you could explain it many ways, and I, I can give you my explanation, which I kind of gave early on in the class, but I'll try to make it more explicit. So whenever I'm committing offenses, it's generally because I don't really understand what I'm doing. I may even know on one level that I'm committing offenses, but I, I don't really see things clearly. I, I just don't see it clearly. I mean, I had an example the other day with, with my grandkids here where usually the three older boys go out to play ping pong. And the girl who's the next oldest, she doesn't get to go because she doesn't know how. She hasn't learned how to play ping pong. So my son said to her, well, we can take you to lessons, ping pong lessons, and then you can play with your brothers. So he was going to take just her to lessons. The older boys didn't need to go to lessons because they already knew. And one of the older boys, actually two of the older boys, started saying, how come she gets to go? How come only she gets to go? Or how come we don't get to go? And then we said, well, you know, there's a lot of times you get to go that she doesn't go. But no matter what we said, they were, they were still in this mood. And it was obvious to everyone but those two boys that they were, where they were coming from was envy. And, you know, they're saying it's not fair. We say, well, why when you get to go and your sister doesn't get to go, that's okay. But when your sister goes and you don't go, that's not okay. So obviously it's not fairness here. It's just envy. But they couldn't see it. And and the younger of the two boys, he finally just said, I'm not going to talk to anybody about this anymore. And he just storms out of the room and goes to another room. So why he was he was being offensive to his sister, and he was also being offensive to his parents. Why? Because he couldn't see clearly that his actions were motivated by envy, number one. And number two, he couldn't see how ugly envy was. You know, Krishna says in the Gita that the demons take shelter of us. He uses the word kamashrita. Another place in the Gita says ahankara ashrita. And Sakinon says, why are you sleeping on the lap of the witch Maya? So basically, our offenses and our sinful activities in general are all things we think are very nice. We, we don't see them as offenses. We see them as shelters. We see them as giving us something that we want. We're often not even aware that we're doing something wrong. And even if we are sort of dimly aware that we're doing something wrong, we don't really understand how it's wrong. We don't see how it's harming us. Another example that I give is people who keep dangerous animals as pets. You know, sometimes you'll read in the news that man's been devoured by his pet python. You know, or pet tiger or something like that. So they're thinking, this, this animal is my, is my pet. Or like Dasara said to Kai Kei when she wanted Ram banished to the forest. He said, I thought you were a woman, but now I see I've been keeping a snake in my bosom. So it, it's something like that. We don't see it. So what attentive chanting does, particularly attentive chanting, but again I would emphasize that any time when we get close to Krishna, Krishna is like the sun. Jnana So you can, if you're attentive in cleaning Krishna's toilets, doing it with love for Krishna, it will have the same effect as being attentive with chanting the holy name. Any attentive to our service, but chanting the holy name is particularly the, the heart of our service. What happens when you become attentive is you see things clearly. The light goes on. 
And all of a sudden you see that instead of, you know, holding something pleasant in your hand, you're holding a venomous snake. Now, when we see that clearly, naturally you want to let go of the snake. Naturally. Now, it's, it's not automatic. In other words, if you're chanting with attention and you see, as Prabhupada puts it, the naked form of material desires, you start seeing your offenses clearly, you start understanding yourself clearly, it's not a very pleasant thing to understand. You know, just like whenever we, we really have to face the fact that we hurt somebody or that we've hurt ourselves, we've done something wrong. It's a very unpleasant thing. By the way, the reason it's unpleasant is that we're prideful and we're attached to our false ego. As Ravindra Sri Prabhu says, what, what first is, is painful becomes delightful. But at least in the initial stages, it is there's some pain involved. And therefore, sometimes what happens is when people chant attentively or serve attentively, they backtrack and either stop chanting or start becoming inattentive. Because if you see the truth and continue to choose falsity, it's very painful to keep seeing the truth. But seeing the truth allows you to make the proper choice. That's the whole Bhagavad Gita. Krishna shows Arjuna the truth and says, make the proper choice. Therefore, you can, you, you can easily give up your offenses. It's easy to give up your offenses if you're chanting as attentive. You see them. You understand them. They're, it's clear. You have a clear choice. When you're not chanting inattentively, then your your ability to understand because you're not you're not in the sun, <laughs> you're not in the light, you're not getting close to the light. You know, we still have to make a choice. It's not that Krishna reveals everything to Arjuna and then it's all automatic. But how can you make a choice unless you see clearly? So. That's the main way that I understand it, although it could be explained in other ways also. That the whole root of our devotional service, the, the root of our offenses and the root of the cure of our offenses, is whether or not we're paying attention to Krishna. That is the essence of Krishna consciousness. Consciousness means awareness. Consciousness means attention. And if you're aware and you're attentive, that, that is everything. If you're unaware, that's the root of all the problems. If you're aware, that's the root of all the solutions. That's, that's the whole thing. So it could just be explained very simply in that way. That, you know, that all of our other, uh, you know, our, our root of our offenses is envy. And, in, and when I'm envious of someone, I don't want to meditate on, on them. <laughs> or I want to meditate on them to criticize them, perhaps. And that's the root of all. I think of it like a tree. You know, we can deal with this inertia and that inertia. Like I, we're kind of lopping off a branch here and there. But when you deal with this, do I want to be with Krishna? <laughs> you know, do I want to be with Srimati Radharani? Do I want to spend time with them? Do I, do I want to put everything else aside for them? Do I want to give them my breath, my, my energy, my time, and just meditate on how wonderful they are? then that uproots the, the, the core of the end Mother Irmila, I know it's late. Do we have time for one more question? Um, I'm willing to stay on another 5-10 minutes till 9 o'clock max. Okay, this is uh, Anupama. 
evidently uh, do not have a, a mic, but I'll read it. Uh, I have a question. How and when can we say that we have attained perfection in the Maha Mantra? What is the state of consciousness that is attained when we have perfected the Maha Mantra? Is it possible that Krishna, the deity of the mantra, when we have perfected the mantra, I mean, is it possible that we have a vision of Krishna when we have perfected the mantra? Not only possible, absolutely, definitely, that's what will happen. If you want to know the descriptions of perfection and chanting, I refer you uh, in a general way to Bhagavad Gita chapter 2 when Krishna, when Arjuna says what are the symptoms of one who is situated in transcendence how does he sit, how does he walk what does he have to speak, what is his language and again in a general way to chapter 14 of Bhagavad Gita where Arjuna again asks what are the symptoms of one who is situated in transcendence Krishna answers that in text, 40, in text 22 I'd also refer you to the last verses in chapter 12 of the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna gives the symptoms of a perfected soul. So those three places in Bhagavad Gita are very general. They're very, very general. If you want to get more specificity, I would refer you to Nectar of Instruction, uh, text 8, in the purport, where Srila Prabhupada's quoting Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati on stages of meditation. And if you will allow me just one minute to... This up on my computer. Can't hear. Just for a second. You coming back? And I can also, if you're interested, I can also give you this. I have it as a PDF. So this is the progressive stages of remembrance. Now, in one sense, uh, this is on page 76 of NOI. In, in one sense, this is um stage of smarnam, our remembering. However, these stages primarily to us through chanting. I was uh, asking one very senior member of our movement, I said, when are you engaged in smarnam? And he said, particularly when I'm chanting. So the first stage is called Shravanadas, or constant hearing. So that's, you know, trying to hear the mantra, uh, hearing the scriptures. Then the next stage is Varanadas, one's attracted to hearing. So at this point, one has firm faith. One knows the name is going to be everything. But one's greed is very frail. One, one is, uh, you know, one's desire is, is, is a little delicate. And one has immature knowledge. By knowledge, we don't mean uh, I can, you know, give you the Sanskrit for the three modes of nature. It means realization. The meditation on Krishna is unsystematic, and it gets mixed with mundane topics. Uh, it's somewhat imitated. Uh, from this, and this, this is the platform, Varna Dash, particularly, where one can engage in the type of meditation. That we that Prabhupada described in Geneva. So Advaranadash is when you're when while you're chanting, you're meditating on making a throne for Krishna in your heart and bathing him with Ganga water, where you're meditating on the form of the deity. This is bringing you to Varna. Then from then we have Smaranavasta, chanting in ecstasy. 
Now, then what happens here is you start realizing your spiritual relationship with Krishna. Um, it may be just a very general thing, like, oh, I, I, can, I can tell I'm a cowherd boy. You don't understand your, your spiritual name or your spiritual form or any of those 11 items that Bhaktivinoda Thakur lists in Jaiva Dharma, but you do have a general sense of what is your Sai Bhav with Krishna. And at this point, one goes from just a meditation on deity worship within the mind to a meditation on doing service in what's called a mentally conceived body. And there's five stages of this meditation. Now, at any point here in Varnadas or Smarnavasta, one will get a vision of Krishna to some extent. Um, I'll give you one example that there's one devotee I know who was hearing her spiritual master give a class about inattentive chanting, where he said that chanting with inattention is like beating Krishna up. And the next day during her japa, she thought, I don't really want to beat Krishna up anymore. And as she was chanting, she was grieving for how she had offended Krishna. And she was crying in grief while she was chanting. And as she was chanting, uh, she actually saw Krishna right next to her. She couldn't see all of them. She said she could see her, his hair, his shoulder, uh, but not his face. And that he stayed with her for the rest of her chanting time. So this is not uncommon. Let's put it that way. It's not at all uncommon. Or I know of one devotee that uh, every day for one year was meditating, as Prabhupada described in Geneva, that during their japa they would meditate on getting water from the Jamuna and putting Krishna on a diamond throne. Actually, they were meditating on just deity worship, on their favorite deities, on massaging the deity with oil and so forth. And at the end of a year, as they were doing that meditation, it wasn't the deity anymore, it wasn't a stone deity, it was Krishna. And they could feel how soft Krishna was, etc. I know of a, a devotee who also had this experience where he told me that he could smell the water of the Jamuna, he could see the details of the border of Srimati Radharani Sari, and so forth. So there are stages of this. Um, the first stage is where it's constantly interrupted, where it's unsystematic. Then it becomes uninterrupted. Then one mentally actually enters into Krishna's pastime to do service. Then it expands. And then finally, one's meditation becomes samadhi. Now, we should really emphasize that there's two levels of samadhi, and the level of samadhi on the platform of Smarana Vasta is still within the platform of the mind. This is also explained by Lord Kapiladev in the third canto, where he says that one uses one's mind as a hook to capture the Lord. So what's interesting is at this stage of samadhi on the platform of the mind, uh, one's still on the material platform, but one is so absorbed in samadhi that with a mentally imagined body, one is entering into the pastimes, and one will do things like see Radha and Krishna, and one will be able to smell the Jamuna and so forth. However, it is still on the material platform. It is, um, it is so powerful and so amazing that at this point the devotee will feel, I have attained my heart's desire. However, there is another stage called samadhi or apanadasha. So at this stage, one's samadhi, one's trance is actually spiritual. Now it's not that the mentally 
constructive samadhi turns into the spiritual samadhi. That's not what happens. What happens is that, as Lord Kapiladev describes in the third canto, that Krishna becomes attracted by your deep, deep, deep meditation on him. He becomes attracted, and therefore he manifests the real thing. Of course, the devotee then sees the difference in quality. And, and one devotee I know on this platform has told me, you know, I, I only want the real thing at this point. I don't want just some sort of meditation with my mind. And it's at this point of samadhi or apanadasha, and this is explained all very nicely in Jiva Dharma, I believe, chapter 25, uh, where one's original form actually manifests where the 11 aspects, our age, our form, our dress, our residence, our service, all gradually manifest to us. So before that point, one may have a general idea of his relationship with Krishna. And Krishna and all of his associates come, this is what Sula Prabhupada talks about as spiritual television. Now at this point of Apanadash, one is living in the world, uh, one is basically in the world, but while one is engaging in one's spiritual body in perfection. So one's functioning here, but uh, internally one's engaged in one's spiritual activities in Golok Vrindavan. Then, Sampati Dasha, here one's relationship with Krishna has become clear and perfect. And now, Radha and Krishna described also very nicely in the Durya Kadambani. And now, instead of the Lord and his realm and our own spiritual body appearing in the heart, Krishna appears before you, standing before you. What is it? Standing before you and can be seen directly. In this way, you will enter into the mysteries of my understanding. So this, of course, happened with Narada, happened with Dhruva, it happened with King Malayadwarja. There's many instances in the Shastra of a person who, they're in meditation, they're in samadhi. Uh, first they're in the, the mental samadhi, then they're in the genuine spiritual samadhi. And then they can't find Krishna in the heart anymore, and Krishna and Radharani appear before them. Now, at that point, somebody may give up their body and do what we commonly call die. Or, at that point, they are living in the spiritual world, although they appear to be operating in the material world. So at the point of samadhi or up in the dasha, they're living in the material world. But internally, they're in the spiritual world. At the point of sampati dasha, they're actually living in the spiritual world, although they appear to be functioning in the material world. So that is the ultimate perfection of chanting to go through those five stages, the progressive stages of meditation. And one can also, uh, if you read also the Madhurya Kadambani, where Vishnu Chakravati Thakur takes you from Shraddha to Prame, which is another way of explaining things, then you can also uh, read his explanation of Prema, which is... The... Okay, it is now nine o'clock. Yes, thank you, Mother Ramallah. Very much. If you could uh, 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 forward that information from your BTG research, that would be very nice. I would post it. Okay. I will do that right now before I get off my computer. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I just have two quick announcements for whoever's still on. Uh, I, for anybody that's on Skype, this is for you. Uh, if you could please go to, to what I just posted. It'll, it'll help because we have over two dozen devotees. And if you connect to Skype uh, by following the instructions and the, the um, link that I just gave, it would really facilitate 
us on these conferences. And then the last announcement is that tomorrow morning, Vrinda Saruprabhu is going to give a class in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Usually we have it at this time at 7.30 Hawaii time, but it'll be three hours earlier tomorrow, which is 10.30 in the morning in Philadelphia, where it'll be broadcast from. So thank you very much, Prabhu. And we have Prabhupada Remembrance class this evening also. Yes, that's correct. At five uh, at six o'clock Hawaii time. Thank you, Judge Priya. All right, thank you very much, Prabhu, for your kind attention and all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day.